You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Giants now trailing the Patriots 14-10 to 10 early in the third quarter in their preseason opener. Uh, Davis Webb, it looks like the third-string quarterback, is on after Jones gave a so-so performance. Daniel Jones threw the first two drives, and then Tyrod Taylor was very good playing quarterback for the remainder of the first half. And now it's Davis Webb on to... Uh, navigate the Giants offense here in the third quarter field of dreams game in Dyersville Iowa going on tonight you heard the update at the top of the hour with Kevin Winter for nothing Cubs over the Reds uh, doesn't exactly have the same electricity as last year's field of dreams game with the Yankees and the White Sox and the eight home runs and the judge Homer and the Stanton Homer and the Tim Anderson walk-off home run, but it's hard to, uh, that, you know, everything broke right last year for that game. The big news in the NBA today, the league announcing that Bill Russell in honor of the late great Boston Celtics center, the league will retire number six, throughout the league so anybody currently wearing number six they will be grandfathered in but teams from this point forward will not be allowed to issue number six to new players now the most prominent player in the nba that currently wears number six is lebron james so it would be some nice symmetry if james were the last man standing wearing number six kind of tie it together very much so the way Mariana Rivera did for Jackie Rob or with Jackie Robinson's number 42 you know for something that special and that meaningful I think it 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 is a nice little symmetry to have an all-time great player and an all-time great performer as the last person associated with that number let's be honest Mariano Rivera the fact that it was him wearing number 42 That made Mariano's career a little more special, and it made the number 42 legacy a little more special. And I think the same could be said if LeBron James is the last NBA player wearing the number six. Um, But Bill Russell, 11 championships, 13 NBA seasons, two of those titles coming when he was the head coach and a player coach of the Boston Celtics his his final two years. Uh, Before he comes into the NBA, he won back-to-back NCAA championships with the University of San Francisco after San Francisco and before the NBA he won an Olympic gold medal for the United States in the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne Australia so just to go through his career and this is before we get to his impact as a civil rights leader um, NCAA championship 55 NCAA championship 56 Olympic gold medal 56 NBA championship 57 NBA championships 59 60, 61 62, 63 64, 65 66, 68 and 69. And 1968 1969, he was also the head coach when the Celtics won those championship teams. All uniforms in the NBA will have a commemorative patch. All teams, not just the Celtics, they'll have a commemorative patch. Uh, honoring Bill Russell, and there will be also a logo honoring Bill Russell and his number six on all courts in the NBA this season. I mean, he if you're talking about impactful people in the NBA, impactful players in the NBA, and you're taking into account more than just the on-court performance. And we had this conversation a lot just a couple of months ago on this station when the Warriors won the championship and it was the fourth championship for this group and it was the fourth championship for Stephen Curry and that pulled him in a tie with guys like Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James. And the question is, every time somebody 
on that level wins another title, well, what does it do to their legacy? And you kind of have to reshuffle your list of greatest players in NBA history. And then you obviously start at the top of the list with Michael Jordan. And then from there, it's anybody's guess. I mean, Bill Russell could be number two. Um, LeBron James could be number two. On my list, personally, as far as a player goes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is number two for me. But Bill Russell, no matter where you want to put him, is a top five, top six player in the history of the NBA. But as far as most impactful people in the NBA, as they say, the Mount Rushmore, so you're only allowed to pick four, he's on it. He's on that Mount Rushmore. Because in addition to all of that winning, first of all, what's the point of basketball or baseball or football or hockey? The point of any sport is to what? Herman Edwards, the point of any sport is to win the game or win championships. And he won championships. And it wasn't an accident. Yeah, he was on a great team. They were great because of him. Not only because of him, but they were great because of him. And those championship teams revolved around him. And he did it in the NBA, and he did it in college, back at a time when winning championships in college, not that it doesn't mean anything now, but it meant something greater back then because you were playing against the best college players at that time. Nobody was coming from high school to the NBA. Nobody was leaving after your freshman year and going to the NBA. When he won back-to-back national championships with San Francisco, he was playing against the best eligible college players in the entire country. All he ever did was win. And then on top of that, his impact as a civil rights leader— speaking out against injustices to black people in this country at a time where that was extremely difficult to do for anybody with a platform or without a platform. And the courage that he showed in doing that, just it's more important than anything he did on a basketball court. And what he did on a basketball court was unprecedented. So when you package all of that together, you know, the the Mount Rushmore, the most influential figures in NBA history he's on it Michael Jordan's on it you know then there's two spots left over you want to give me Kareem you want to give me magic you want to give me Larry you want to give me magic and Larry together you want to give me LeBron you know so Bill Russell's on it though because he he was first he was the first great 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 championship superstar on that level, and he won at a higher clip than anybody ever, and he also used his voice in a way and at a time that was probably more impactful than anyone else in the NBA's history and in sports history. You know, he's up there with Jackie Robinson. You know, Jackie Robinson is a man who we have a day for, a national holiday for in this country at least in Major League Baseball, for Jackie Robinson. You know, a lot of the things that Bill Russell did during his life are on that level. He had to deal with the same challenges, you know, two decades, a decade and a half later. And for all of those reasons, the NBA, deservedly so, is retiring his number six throughout the league. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you, 98.7 ESPN New York. Jalen Brunson, the newest Nick, Spoke today. We'll hear from him, his comments, what he had to say. We'll get into some Knicks conversation and your calls as well. 1-800-919-3776. Frank from Yonkers checking in. Frank, how you doing tonight? 
Hello, Pat. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I agree with uh, most what you said, except I even think Kareem is better than Michael Jordan. But uh, I think he's number one. But anyway, that's you not sound why like I, you might have I'm seen Kareem play in 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 his prime. What's that? I said you sound like you may have seen Kareem play in his prime. Is that fair to say? I have actually, uh, even from the time he was in high school. And do you talk about someone who uh, never lost? Basically, from his junior year in high school till he graduated from college, he lost two basketball games. It's hard to top and, that. And, and the one thing about him is that when you did play well against him the first time, you got buried the next time, which is what happened to Houston when they met them later on in the playoffs after the game in the Astrodome. That game was over in the first court, first half. Elvin Hayes. Uh, but anyway, I'm calling about the Yankees because uh, I know right now, listen, they got off to such a great start. It's a long season. Eventually, you're going to start playing poorly. Uh, a couple of, uh, especially the pitching has not been up to par. Hopefully, uh, we'll get Britain back before the season's over. He may wind up becoming the closer. Chapman may get his job back again. Who knows? But the point is, uh, I know the Mets have the the two best pitchers in baseball, really, which is uh, very scary in a short series. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have this fantastic team. But one thing that the Yankees do have is the Yankees have the two most devastating power hitters in baseball right now in their same lineup, which is also something that in a short series could have a major impact and, and carry a team through. Uh, you know, Stanton is out now, but, uh, you know, Stanton and Judge are, are scary. Again, you, I, 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 uh, I saw a Korean play. I also uh, remember the 1961 Yankees and uh, – you know, Mantle and Maris, and this is the closest thing I've ever seen to those kind of players. And, well, let me let, know, let me you, jump you, in. Let me jump in there, Frank, because we had a call earlier today, and I had a caller who said that when the playoffs come around, if other teams are smart, they're not going to give Judge anything to hit, and I disagree with that. And I don't know if you remember this stat, but in 1961, you said you watched Mantle Ma and Maris. Ma Maris How never got an intentional there pass. There you go. There you go. So you remember, Maris was not intentionally walked the entire season when he had 61 home runs. Why? Because they then had to face the greatest switch hitter who ever lived. Exactly. Mickey Mantle. And that's the... And that's exactly right here. You know, uh, you got Judge... I mean, and listen, uh, Rizzo is having uh, a, a rejuvenated career playing for the Yankees. Uh, he's having a great year. But, I mean, Judge and and Stanton, uh, like, can carry a team the way that Alex Rodriguez pretty much carried the Yankees in 2009, his greatest year here in New York. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount what, what they can do in a short series. Uh, I still have great hope. So next year they'll be celebrating the uh, – 100th anniversary of the opening of the original Yankee Stadium and also of winning their first World Series. And I think they will be opening up by celebrating, hoisting up number 28. Well, Frank, thanks for the call. You know, it was looking that way earlier this season. Everything was coming up Yankees the first two, two and a half months. And because that happened, they're able to withstand this stretch right now. 
you know, they're struggling. They're below 500 since the All-Star break. Last 50 games, they're a 500 team. But despite all of that, they are 30 games above 500. So they're not looking over their shoulder at the Blue Jays or the Rays or even the Baltimore Orioles right now. They're comfortably in first place in the American League East. And part of the reason why they've dropped some games lately is because of that big lead, they can be cautious to make sure that their players are as healthy as they possibly can be come playoff time. You know, Luis Severino was upset that they put him on the 60-day injured list. But the Yankees put him on the 60-day IL because they want him. They know he's going to be in the playoffs. And they don't need him before the middle of September. And it stinks for the guy. He was having a good season. He wants to pitch. It stinks for him. But the decisions that the Yankees have to make have to be in the best interest of the club. Could Stanton have been back right now if this was the end of the season and they needed each and every game to win the division? Maybe. Could Rizzo have played through the back nagging back injury last weekend at the stadium? Maybe. But he didn't have to. Because they have this comfortable lead in the division. The question is going to be, what are you going to do with it in October? You know, the Stanton judge thing. And this is why you need to be reminded that Stanton is still out there. And Stanton's been a good Yankee. You know, I said this earlier. A lot of Yankee fans are still sour on him from the 2018 playoffs and missing practically the entire 2019 season. That was three years ago. What's he done since then? Since then, he's been what you expected him to be when you got him from Miami. He is still one of the most feared power hitters in baseball. And when you pair him with Aaron Judge, the most feared power hitter in baseball, that is a lethal combination. So, yeah, that could do damage in the playoffs. But the thing you have to remember, and the Yankees have run into this in several years during this you know, decade plus of not even making it to the World Series, in the playoffs, great pitching more often than not Beats great hitting. So, yeah, you can tell me that Stanton and Judge are the best one-two power hitting combination in the game today. But recent history tells us that more often than not, great pitching can beat great hitting. Not all the time. So we'll see. All right, we'll break. Um, want to get into some Knicks conversation here with Jalen Brunson had to say with Barton Hahn earlier today. Uh, ESPN has some projections out for the Eastern Conference. Their panel of experts voting on where they think each team will finish this year in the Eastern Conference. What does this mean for the Knicks' prospects of returning to the playoffs after missing out on them last season? It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Starting left guard Shane Lemieux hurt his toe tonight. This is according to Pat Leonard of the Daily News on Twitter. Uh, Pat also tweeting out that Giants backup right guard Jameel Douglas has an ankle injury. That according to the team. That's all I'm seeing so far in the terms of attrition in tonight's game. Uh, two minutes to go in the third quarter and the Giants lead the Pats 17-14. to uh, Giants started their regulars. They played two series on offense together. Uh, Daniel Jones was 6 for 10 for 69 yards, took an 8-yard sack, ran 6 yards for a first down in his only rushing attempt of the game. 
Saquon Barkley uh, carried the ball four times for 13 yards. All of that in the first quarter. The Giants' first-team offense in two drives was responsible for scoring three total points. Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, he logged a tackle in his limited action out there tonight. Um, Dexter Lawrence has a solo tackle as well as you look at some uh, individual performances. You try to glean what you can from the first preseason game. You know, the Giants played their starters two series on offense. The Patriots didn't play theirs as all, at all. Uh, Brian Hoyer started. Uh, they've gone with Bailey Zappi for most of the game. Giants, the one thing you take from tonight is Tyrod Taylor looks pretty good. And if you remember the way last season ended with the Giants' backup quarterback situation of Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm, it was a disaster. At least if something happens to Jones or if the Giants realize in the middle of the season that Jones isn't the guy and they're not going to be moving forward with him, at least you have a professional NFL quarterback on the roster in Tyrod Taylor. And Davis Webb is out there now for the Giants. He's 4 for 7 for 18 yards as the third-string quarterback. Pat O'Keefe with you, 98.7 ESPN New York. Till 10, Larry Hardesty coming up then, 1-800-919-3776. Got a call here from Dave and Comac. Let's take that. Dave, how you doing tonight? Hey, how are you? I'm good. Uh, yesterday on my Facebook page, and I'm an Islander fan just to preface this, I get some, looks like an advertisement of a white Islander's sweatshirt with the Gordon's Fisherman logo. And anybody who is a big Islander fan knows that that's a disgrace. It is a slap in the face to Islander fans if management and ownership uh, want to insult the fan base. That's a great way to do it. And it really is disgraceful. Never mind the fact that the Ledecky and uh, Lamarillo have done nothing to improve this team over the summer. Uh, and uh, But then you throw this in there, trying to sell these Gorton's Fisherman logo sweatshirts. is really a disgrace. And if Ledecky doesn't care about this team, he really should sell the team, let alone get rid of Lamarillo and maybe trade Barcel for three proven draft picks that are going to be scorers. Instead of sitting with Barzell, uh, who basically takes stupid penalties and half the time doesn't score, they could get true, three proven scorers futuristically through draft picks for Barzell instead of waiting for his contract to end, and then he's going to walk anyway. And then we're going to get nothing like we did with Tavares. Well, Dave, let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> what, what is your biggest issue with the Fisherman logo? Like why, why? Why in your mind is that a disgrace if they were to bring that back? Because back around that time, the Islanders had zero track record. When the Rangers came into our building, namely the Nassau Coliseum mm-hmm. at that time, they were like, whenever they played the Islanders, they were like, "We want fish sticks." It was an insult. It was embarrassing. <clears throat> You're basically ridiculing the Islanders and their fans with that fisherman's logo and the Rangers come into the building and say, we want fish sticks. It really is a disgrace. So it's, it's almost a- as bad as when the Rangers didn't win their cup for how, however many years it was and the Islanders were saying, you know, chanting in their building, 1940. Yeah, it's yeah. No, I hear bad. it. So, so you see you see the Gorton's fisherman logo, for lack of a better word, and thanks for the call, <clears throat> Dave, and it just reminds you of a not-so-pleasant time 
uh, in Islanders franchise history. I hear that passionate Islanders fan. Um, you know, for, for those of us in the sports world that follow it and are aware of it and don't have the passion for the team as Dave exhibited there, I, I, I like it. But again, you know, I understand that the Islanders fan, the hardcore Islander fan like Dave from Comac is coming at it from a different place. I, I'm looking now, there's this uh, fansided.com uh, the Isles page is called Eyes on Isles, and this came out on uh, August 8th, so earlier this week. The NHL, is, and I'm reading, is bringing back the reverse retro initiative. It appears, this is according to the article on Eyes on Isles, it appears the Islanders will be bringing back the fisherman sweaters that the franchise wore for a while, a short while, from 1995 to 1997. I haven't. This is where I'm seeing this posted right now. We'll see if it gets some legs. I'm amused by it. I'll say that. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, make light or poke fun at our last caller. I'm not a diehard Islanders fan. Um, I was probably one of those people in the Coliseum in the mid to late 1990s chanting, we want fish sticks. In fact, I 100% know that I was. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. All right, Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Uh, Jalen Brunson, new Knicks point guard, four-year contract, $104 million. You know, first and foremost, what does he do? He takes some of the load off of Julius Randle. You know, Randle had so much responsibility two years ago, his all-NBA season, his all-star season, the Knicks playoff season, and it kind of caught up to him in the playoffs against Atlanta. Uh, Randall did not perform at the same level or anywhere close to it in the five-game series loss to Atlanta. You know, and a big reason for that was he just had too much on his plate. And in a five-game series, as opposed to playing a team, you know, one night and then moving on to the next team the next night during the regular season, you're able to game plan for that specific guy. And I'm not putting that entire series loss on Randall because if you look at the Knicks that series, R.J. Barrett did not shoot the ball well when he had opportunities. Alec Burks was really good in game one. The rest of the series, he did not shoot the ball well. Emmanuel quickly did not shoot the ball well. The only guy, Reggie Bullock, did not shoot the ball well. Alfred Payton was, after two games, taken out of the rotation. Not only the starting lineup, he was taken out of the rotation. So you're basically left with Randall, who was the focal point of the offense, but was unable to generate anything because they focused all of their defensive attention on him. And there was Derrick Rose, who was the Knicks' best offensive player in that series. But then fast forward to last year, and Derrick Rose isn't there for the entire season. We never saw him again after December. Barrett was a little bit better. I'd say more than a little bit better. Barrett was better year three than he was in year two. But it was Randall who took a huge step back last year. So just the presence of Jalen Brunson uh, as that point guard, which is what he's going to be in this offense, as a guy who can create his own shots, as a guy who can hit big shots, as a guy who can just do more in the offense. I mean, if you think about the point guards that Randall has played with just the last two years, Alfred Payton two years ago, and last year Alec Burks, Payton really struggled offensively as the point guard two years ago, and Alec Burks wasn't a point guard. He gave it a go. He, he The Knicks asked him to play out of position virtually for an entire season. He didn't complain. He played hard, and he did his job. But that's not what he is. Now you have a guy who not only this is his position and this is what he can do, but a lot of indications are that he is just starting to come into his own. 
I mean, think about what Brunson did in the playoffs last year. By the end of the regular season, Brunson had stepped forward and kind of become the number two guy for Luka Doncic on Dallas. You know, it was supposed to be Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and that never worked out. And then for a brief time, it was actually the former Nick Tim Hardaway Jr. But Hardaway got hurt, and he wasn't playing last season. So somebody else had to step up and fill that void, fill that role, and it ended up being Brunson. And then the last game of the regular season last year, Luka injures himself, and he misses the first two games of the playoffs. So now Brunson is entering a playoff series with the Mavericks against the Utah Jazz, and Brunson is the main guy in Dallas's offense. And what did they do? They won the series in six games. With, I mean, Luka eventually came back, but Brunson was outstanding. So he has proven that he is more of a point guard than either of the last two guys to hold that role, at least in the starting lineup. I'm not counting Derrick Rose there. And he's also proven that he can do this in the postseason. So just with those facts and nothing else, you expect the Knicks offense to be a lot better this coming season. And I do think that as a result of that presence of Jalen Brunson, I do think that Julius Randle's going to be better also. Because Randle is better when he doesn't have to do so much. Now, Brunson was introduced, sort of introduced, last month. Uh, The Knicks had a televised press conference for him, uh, but he hasn't spoken with many members of the media yet. He was a guest earlier today here on ESPN Radio with Barton Hahn. Uh, First and foremost, I mean, Brunson, if you don't know the history, you grew up in the New York area. His father played for the Knicks. You know, he uh, went to Villanova, has played in the Garden before. His dad's an assistant coach with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, Relationship between the Brunson family and Leon Rose. Relationship between the Brunson family and Tom Thibodeau. So how does it feel to Jalen to be back in New York? I'm definitely excited to be back. I'm definitely excited to contribute to a place where I know very well. I'm from just down 95. It's a special thing. And the fact that I know that people here have had relationships with some of the players, coaches, and the front office is bringing things full circle. So I'm very excited to be here. So what about the pressure of being in New York? I knew it because I kind of grew up in it, but to actually go through it is different. But if I didn't think I was ready for it, I don't think I would be here. I think I'm mentally and physically prepared for anything, honestly. So it's really nothing to me. And uh, if I keep the mentality like I have my entire career, entire life, and that nothing really phases me, then um, I think I'll be all right. You, you talk about leadership. You know, who is the leader on this team? You know, two years ago, it was Randall by the nature of his brilliant play. And Derek Rose, a leader in his own right. Last year, you saw... R.J. Barrett grow into a leader and become more of a spokesman for the team. Um, Brunson, by nature of his position, by nature of his contract, his status in the NBA is going to be counted on to be a leader on this team. And that is a role that he sees himself fitting nicely. I think that's one thing I always bring to the table is a voice. I've been a leader my entire life. I was raised by my parents to be a leader, not a follower. And so that's kind of been put into my DNA. I don't really know how to explain it. It's just how I've always been. I've always been a person that's vocal. I've always been a person that kind of not tell people what to do, but knowing my audience and know how to talk to certain people to try to get everyone on the same page. That's just how I've always been. And um, that's how I want to continue to be. Now he's played with one of the best players in the NBA in recent years, Luka Doncic, what was that experience like? 
My time with Luca was nothing short of amazing. I got to watch a future Hall of Famer be special at everything that he did. So I got to learn a lot just by watching. So being with him was great. But when he was out and began the playoffs, I was obviously able to uh, do a little more. But uh, for me, I've always been about team, always. And so with the team needing me to do at any given moment, I was willing to try and uh, contribute to help my team win in any way. Luca's absence in those first two games really enabled Jalen Brunson to blossom. Brunson's going to be 26 years old this season. He's a former second-round pick, big-time college player, national champion at Villanova. Um, you look at his playoff numbers, though, and what he did last year. I talked about that first-round six-game series against Utah. He averaged 27.8 points a game in that series, 27.8. Second round against Phoenix, when they beat them by... Uh, they beat them in seven, winning a seventh game in Phoenix. Remember Phoenix, people tend to forget, Phoenix was by far and away the best team in the NBA during the regular season last year. They were the presumptive team to come out of the Western Conference and in many people's eyes win the NBA championship until they ran into Luka and Brunson in the second round and lost in seven games. In that series, Brunson averaged 18.7. And then they lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Golden State Warriors. They lost in five games. But Brunson's numbers there, also good, 18 points a game. In the Conference Finals, he shot 46% from the field. He shot 41% from downtown. So all in all, a spectacular playoff run for Jalen Brunson last season. And again, a guest on Barton Hahn earlier today was asked if the playoffs last season were his coming out party. I mean, maybe for you guys, maybe for everyone else to see around the country or the world. I've always known that what I've been capable of. And that just comes with like my confidence, my work ethic. I just, it's how I've always been. So for everyone else to see it and uh, kind of be surprised, I guess, I guess just you guys finally see it. But for me, it's always been there for me. Well, I mean, you look at the numbers during his, and he's improved every single year. Uh, you know, rookie year, 73 games, averaged nine points. His second year, he actually dipped to eight points a game. His third season, he averaged 12.5 points a game. That season, he got some buzz as a six-man-of-the-year candidate. And then last year, he averaged 16.3. So, you know, yes and no. You like the confidence by saying that maybe to you, last year's playoffs was a coming-out party. But he's never averaged more than 16.3 points a game in any of his four NBA seasons. And then he comes out and he averages nearly 28 a game in a first-round playoff series and then backs that up with 19 a game and then backs that up with 18 a game. So, yeah, I, I would consider that a coming-out party. And also you got to keep in mind, though, he's playing with one of the most talented offensive players in the NBA in Dallas those four years. So how much of an opportunity nightly was there for him to show the full scope of his offensive game? That's why it's going to be really interesting to see him fit into this offense from day one with a larger role than he has ever had in his career, except for those first two playoff games against the Utah Jazz. Now, what does this mean for the Knicks and their playoff prospects? I mentioned earlier, ESPN.com has a lot of preseason NBA coverage coming out this week, including their panel of experts giving their opinions on where each team in the Eastern Conference will slot in this season. We'll take a look at what they think of the Knicks. We'll take a look at what they think of the Brooklyn Nets and whether we agree or disagree as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. When I'm done here, catching the final episode of The Captain 
Got uh, Jacob Perry, Harvey Cruz producing the show here tonight. Jacob, are you up to speed on the captain? I'm going to be honest with you, Pat. I have not seen one. Not episode. one. Come not on, one. really? I'm gonna no be... interest, no time. What's the reason? I think little for oh for me, little to no time. And on top of that, I am spoiled now. I'm a guy who loves to binge watch shows. Yep. And not have to wait till. How next old are you? Week. I'm a uh, 30 now. There you go, man. You're just a young. You're just a young pup. You don't know any other way. Yeah, I just you know I. I look. I used. To, I used to look forward to you know next week and watching the next show and next week. But with shows being binged out and you know coming out as often as they do, I would like to wait for the last episode and then I'll just watch everything in complete order. So what I like to do, I like to watch. I don't like to wait. You know, um, and I was. I, were you with me on Saturday when I was critical of Jeter's performance in The Captain? Were you? Uh, yes, I did you, hear. It. Yes, okay, I was yeah. With you. So, but that's that. That's not my point. But I, I you know. I don't. I, I was around for Jeter's entire career. I followed his entire career um, from the eye of somebody who grew up a Yankee fan. So the the mem- while I don't love how he's coming off in this series, just the what they're telling stories of and those moments in his career, which are also moments in my life, is very special to me and very nostalgic to me. So I don't like to wait. So you know, ten o'clock tonight it comes on ESPN. I'll be watching. I'll also be listening into Larry to hear what he has to say the last couple of hours uh, of the night from 10 to 12 on ESPN New York tonight. That being said, um, it has been what I like to do is I like to watch it in, you know, the first time I can watch it, which is tonight live. And then I'll go back and like watch it tomorrow and I will, I'll end up binge watching it anyway. If it's something that I really like and I did this with The Last Dance, uh, I did this with Man in the Arena, uh, I'm doing this with The Captain now, you know, I'll watch it when it comes on. And then I'll go back and watch it a second time, just in case there's anything that I missed. I understand that. Uh, I think for me, like I said, if I start watching it like while it's on, I probably either won't come back to it or I'm gonna come back to it by the time everybody finishes it. Cause I, I don't know. I like to take my time, observe, you know, see how it is, and then you know, come back to it and do the same thing over and over. You know what? Yeah, and for me, it's 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 at a perfect time. My show's over at ten; it comes on at ten. You know, I'm finished work for the day. I worked at News Twelve this morning. I'm working here tonight, so you know what? I'm done. I'm gonna sit down and enjoy myself for the uh, See ya. for the next hour. Thank well, you very much, Michael. Well, I don't uh, blame you, man. Well, yeah. Uh, I, thank I'll, you. I'll be uh, spending my weekend doing that. You know, I have the whole weekend to myself. So that's that's rare for you. Yes, exactly. So best believe when I come back on Monday. I'll have a full report for you ready and what I thought about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so the NBA, um, you know, they've got a bunch of off-season, pre-season uh, NBA content because we're about a month and a half away from the start of NBA training camps. Uh, today, the NBA insiders and their panel of experts gave their projections on MVP, Rookie of the Year, and all the other awards earlier this week their panel and I was trying to get the names or find out how many people were on the panel and I can't, but that's not that important now, but the guys who the people who do the weekly ESPN power rankings, they all cast a ballot uh, with their opinions on what every team's record will be this season. So here's how in their minds, the Eastern conference shakes out. They break it into three different tiers. The first tier is the top six teams. Those are the teams that go to the playoffs and avoid the play in tournament. They have Boston in first. They have Milwaukee in second. They have Miami in third. They have Philadelphia in fourth. They have Toronto in fifth. 
and they have Atlanta in six. Remember, Atlanta made the big trade for DeJounte Murray from the San Antonio Spurs. So when you hear those top six, does anything jump out at you, Jacob? Are you surprised to hear a team in there, or are you surprised that a specific team is not in that group? Um, Boston, well, Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, is. Toronto, Atlanta. I think to me it might be the last two teams, more so Atlanta. Um, yeah, they did a ton of great moves with DeJounte Murray, but we have failed to see uh, both of them on the court you know, at the same right. time and see how it's going to work within the offense and you know how well the defense is going to be. Because uh, you know, to me, Clint Compella is still a question at center. You know, he's a great rebounder, and he's, he could control the paint, but not really as a shot-blocking you know, defensive threat. Uh Toronto, they're still young. Uh, they have a lot of pieces to work with, so I'm not surprised to see them in the top six. Um, more so that they're going to be consistent throughout the playoffs. But the other four teams, for sure, my locks for top four. Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is going to be good this year. Yeah. Now you get to, you get to the next group. The next group, seven, eight, nine, and ten. These are the four that they think are going to be in the play-in tournament. Cleveland, seventh. And Cleveland had a breakout season last year. They just with they had too many injuries that uh, they couldn't withstand at the end of last year. Ended up in the play-in tournament. Ended up having to play the Nets and losing that game. And then they lost the next game to the Atlanta Hawks. So they lost two play-in tournament games last year. But they exceeded a lot of expectations. They're slotted in at 7th. The Chicago Bulls are slotted in at 8th. And I think the Bulls can be a lot better than that. And ninth and tenth, wouldn't you know it, are the Brooklyn Nets in ninth with a projected record of forty and forty-two, and tenth are the New York Knicks with a projected record of thirty-nine and forty-three. So, if you're a Knicks fan and you hear that projection after the moves of the offseason, namely bringing in Jalen Brunson, uh, signing a backup center in Isaiah Hartenstein, you know the Donovan Mitchell possibility is still out there. And you hear your team is projected to finish 10th, the final team in the play-in tournament, Jacob. Your thought on that is what? Uh, I don't know. Like, Especially after coming off of the season prior where we had expectations going into the season, um, I feel like we're right probably where we expect to be. I would put us even higher, maybe eighth seed. Uh, and another team I will move up is Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, I think Chicago, I mean, if you remember last year, right around the midway point of the season, Chicago was the top team in the Eastern Conference, and then they just had so many injuries. Remember, Alex Caruso got hurt. He was their best perimeter defender. Um, DeMar DeRozan was playing at an MVP level for a while, but then Zach Levine got hurt late in the season, and he was never able to recover Lonzo Ball missed the second half of the season. They they just had so many injuries. When they had all of their guys together, they were the number one team in the conference for a while. So I think you have to keep an eye on them. As far as the Knicks go, my feeling on the Knicks being at number 10 is I don't think it's that bad because I don't think the Knicks, I, I, I think that the Knicks are going to be a different team at least when we get past the trade deadline. What you're... What you want from a Knicks fan perspective, last year was disappointing because they got off to such a tough start, and they, well, they got off to a great start the first, you know, three weeks of the season, but then there was about two or three months of malaise, and by the time you got to the trade deadline, 
there wasn't much to trade up for because you could kind of see the writing on the wall that there was nothing to go for last year. What you want from the Knicks perspective this year is to be in the hunt, whether it's in the seventh or eighth spots and have a chance to get into that top six or better yet in the fifth or the sixth spots and and be in that top six by the trade deadline and see if you could make a move to bolster your chances down the stretch of the season. So that's what you want for the Knicks. So if if you're starting off among the top 10 teams and you're starting off in that group of the play-in tournament and you're, you're now clear in people's minds of teams like Charlotte and Washington and Indiana, I do think that's a good place to start because I think that there is potential for the Knicks to improve upon what they are right now. So we'll see how it all plays out. So right now, the ESPN panel of experts projects the Knicks to be 10th in the Eastern Conference with a record of 39 and 43. So if the experts are right, and, you know, they won't be, but if they're right, that would mean the Knicks would play the Nets in the first round of the play-in tournament at Barclays Center in April. Stay tuned. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.